Welcome to the Expatcast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on their journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. I'm about to move apartments again. This will be my fourth apartment in Germany <laughs> and something like my like 15th apartment in the last 10 years. Yeah, it's, it's getting to be a little bit much. I, I want to stop moving, but through all those moves, I've certainly learned a thing or two, which A, means that I haven't packed at all yet because I'm like basically a master packer. I don't even have to worry about it till like a day before because I've got this down. But B, that also means I've become pretty good at making any space feel like home. I've lived in some pretty crappy apartments <laughs> and I've lived in a variety of cities and, and countries even now that have felt more or less comfortable at the beginning, more or less like home. You know, some places it took a while to build, some places it faded actually, it felt like home and then it stopped feeling like home. So I've got a little bit of experience in my pocket. <laughs> And I brought that experience into today's episode. I've teamed up with Julia from Yellowwood Coaching. She is a expat life coach living in Scotland, and she also has her fair share of experience with moving from city to city, country to country, and developing a home. I know maybe it's kind of weird to put this one out in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic because probably not too many people are moving to completely new places, but I do know some people who fairly recently moved somewhere just before this all happened. And on top of that, we're all spending more time in our actual literal homes, in our apartments and, and houses, and we cover that in the episode too. It's not just about creating the feeling of home in society, in your place of living, but also within your home. How do you actually make four walls feel like home. So actually, in that sense, I thought, hey, you know what? This is actually a good time to share this. And, you know, I might I might have to listen back myself <laughs> as I unpacked my boxes in my new apartment. All right. I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. My name is Julia Gutzel. Um, I'm originally from Italy, from the very north of Italy. So that's why I have a German sounding name. That region is predominantly German speaking. And I live in Edinburgh, Scotland. And I've been here since November 2015. We actually, me and my partner, we moved here for Halloween. Ah, oh, that's so fun. <laughs> yeah, I love Halloween. That's why, So we actually coordinated the moving date to coincide with Halloween. Seriously, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and now you'll always remember it. And then also, if it had gone really poorly and it was like a nightmarish day, then you could be like, well, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me just ask you right off the bat, you've been there about five years. When do you think that you started calling Edinburgh home? I would probably say after about six, seven months, because, you know, it kind of takes a bit of time to settle in. And I think a big part for me to call a place home means a job. And I moved here with my partner who had a job, but I kind of followed him. So I didn't have a job when I first moved here. And it took me about three, four months to find a job that I really liked and that was, you know, permanent. So, um, yeah, it was probably around four, five, six months 
I noticed for me, I mean, obviously when you're talking about your apartment or house, you call it home often. And so I was doing that all the time. But at the same time, if I was planning a visit back to the States, I would say, oh, I'm, I'm visiting home. I'm going home. And then when I was in the States and I was like, yeah, I, I fly back home in so and so many days, this time meaning Germany. <laughs> and then one of my relatives asked, like, so what do you identify as home? Are they both home? So they were they were trying to be open about it. But I was just like kind of grumpy at the moment. I was like, I don't know. I just I live there. So it's home. But I'm from here. So it's home. <laughs> and I honestly, I feel like I didn't have this moment of like really thinking about the connection with that word until much, much later, like probably just a couple months ago, honestly. And I'm like two and a half years into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I still call Italy home, even though I haven't been living in Italy for over 10 years. I think it's like coming up to 11 years now. I still call it home because I think it's a place where I grew up. So even though I don't live there anymore, it's always going to be that base. I think in German, there's also the word heim, like daheim is more is your home it's where you're from it has this kind of heavier more permanent meaning and that you can't change you can have a different word for home and in terms of the place that you live but but my heimat for instance will always be america and yours would always be italy but you're the the native speaker so you can tell me if my german yeah. is correct there <laughs> It is correct. Yeah, I can I can confirm that that is the high map is definitely the the kind of the strong kind of original place where you're from. I I think it's quite interesting because there are some people that don't have that place of like where they're originally from. So some of the people I work with are third culture kids who have moved several times in their childhood with their parents. And so they don't actually have that really safe space where they grew up. Um, so I think expats in that sense, we have grown up in a very specific place that helps us have that really secure home base. Yeah, which I think brings up a really interesting concept, which is how do you define home? Because obviously there's this factual based aspect of literally the place you were born and grew up, if that exists for you. <laughs> but like you said, plenty of people are third culture kids and don't have that or they even just moved a lot within a country or what have you. I mean, there's so many ways that you could not have that permanent home. And even if you did, that that doesn't necessarily mean that you would identify your current living situation as home. So what does home mean? So for you, you said job. A job was a really big part of it. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, a job is a really big part of it because it gives me that sense of security. There's definitely other things like my partner, for example. So it's around people. So I've lived with my partner in two different countries. So that has had a sense of continuity moving with him. I think my physical house, like my the, the physical accommodation is very much home for me because I we bought a house here and it was our first home. So we were really proud of like buying a space together. So I think that's something I identify strongly with as home. And the other thing, which is slightly odd for someone living in Scotland, is uh, that I really like the rain. So I, I really like the weather. <laughs> You, you went to the right spot then. Good thing you left Italy and you found exactly the right place to go. <laughs> it's actually one of the things that I don't like about living in Italy is that it's so warm and I, yeah, I can't deal with the heat. So Scotland is the best place. <laughs> and where were you between Italy and Scotland? And so I originally moved to Ireland as a foreign exchange student 
when I was 16. I was planning to be there just for six months and to kind of do an, an exchange program. And then I decided to stay longer uh, because the school said, you know, I could stay and I could finish my high school in Ireland. Cool. And I really liked the family that I was living with, which again is all about people and creating home through people. So I finished my high school in Ireland. Okay, and when you were there, well, I'm assuming you didn't own any property when you lived in Ireland because you were a teenager. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering, too, I think it's interesting that you identified like your literal house as, as part of this feeling of home and you purchased it. So I wonder, do you, did you have that feeling at all of, of connection to the, the, the walls around you in Belgium? Um, I think less. So because in Belgium, I was part of um, furnished accommodation and student accommodation, I was less able to individualize it. Um, whereas now with my current property, I can do pretty much whatever I like with it. So student accommodation was a bit more limited. But I think I always try to have like my own items and things that I could bring that would make it a bit more unique, and a bit more me. So yeah, I think you can always try and recreate your own space to make it feel like it's your own yeah definitely when we were hitting new year's and it was becoming 2020 of course i did some reflecting on the whole decade because for me i finished high school in 2010 and, and made my first move from the house i literally spent my entire life in to somewhere where it was a 12-hour drive away and then you know ending the decade in germany and i was looking at you know what i've what i've been up to along the way and i realized i've never lived in a single apartment for more than a year and a half this whole time and i've had i think 10 or 11 apartments in that time which is so much upheaval and I, it never occurred to me before until I reflected in this context which then made me think okay well why did I not notice that I was moving so much why didn't I have a feeling of disconnection to home but I think for me it was the things that I was filling the home with that made it feel more or less home and I'm a librarian by day and I'm a huge reader. And so everywhere I go, I've had varying amounts of books, but I've always had books. And I noticed that this is something at the beginning of my move to Germany, I didn't bring my books with me. And literally, I, I every time I went back to the States, back home, as it were, I would put a couple books in my bag when I was coming back. And I honestly didn't care which ones they were. It was just to have them there. Yeah, I can definitely relate to books. Um, I think I think what makes my moves really expensive is that I always ship my books with me <laughs> because I have such a strong connection with my books. And also, like, most of my books are like university books that I used in uni that were so expensive to purchase as a student. So I kind of almost feel like they have to come with me <laughs> yeah. so that it makes it worth that I purchased them. <laughs> I also have, I'm, I'm staring at my books right now, and on top of my bookshelf is this little pink, I don't know, scarf piece of fabric. I'm not really sure what it's supposed to be, and I couldn't tell you where I got it. I think it was a thrift store somewhere, and I just thought it looked pretty, which is funny because it's floral and pink, and I'm pretty sure I bought it in Charleston, which is where I lived when I was maybe like 20, 21, and I didn't like floral, and I didn't like pink, so I don't know why I bought it, but but I did, and that's been one of my most consistent objects through all these moves because it's so easy to pack. I can put it anywhere, and I have always just put it on top of a shelf or a table or something as a decorative piece, and so it's definitely visible, and I see it often. Yeah, I brought it to Germany with me, and I, I don't know that I did this all on purpose, nor, no, let me say it this way. I know that I didn't do it on purpose, but I also know that it's been really helpful and 
that's something for me I would recommend to someone. Like you said, if your books are really important to you, maybe you splurge and you ship them because that's going to make you feel better. A really good point that you made is around bringing things with you that matter to you. So I had like a lot, I have a lot of clients who bring things like clothes with them or they bring, I have clients who bring cutlery with them. (laughs) And it's like, but you can, you can just replace it when you get there, you know, unless you're really connected to your cutlery, which probably most people aren't. <laughs> um, so it's really, you know, bring whatever is meaningful with you, because that's what's going to make a difference when you move in. And all the rest you can replace uh, kind of slowly, you know, along the way. This also makes me think of my most recent apartment move. I am the type of person when I move apartments, I immediately unpack everything like that day that night even if it's just piles on the floor getting the boxes out of the way helps me feel better about it and this move was really magical because I had a friend she couldn't help me physically move my items but she was able to come later that evening when I was unpacking and I would just take things out and throw them into piles and she's got this eye for design which I do not have at all and she would take my objects and my belongings and just put them places when I turn around and think the shoe rack that I've had for ages is suddenly not a shoe rack anymore. It's a showpiece in my apartment and it looks amazing. Like, I don't know how you did this, but it helped me feel at home right away. That's awesome. I like that. I think I struggle with that as well in terms of like the the decorative, like I don't really have that eye for detail, but I think it's really important to me in terms of aesthetics. I really like a place to look kind of clean and simple. I don't like clutter. It gets me, I just get quite upset when I see lots of clutter. So it's around, yeah, it's just about finding ways to make things look the right way. And I do kind of struggle with that. So I sometimes get friends over to kind of help me whenever I move. (laughs) Yeah, and I think also if you are someone like both of us where you're not necessarily a design person, it might seem like this isn't important and you can just throw it on the back burner because you're like, man, I don't really know what it should look like anyway. But I mean, I've done it that way too. And I noticed that those places I don't feel it's connected to versus the places where I had some help and we made it look nice. Then I had this ownership suddenly. I think ownership is so important because when you move somewhere new, there's so few things that you have ownership over because it's often a new language, a new place. You don't really know where to go. You don't know how to navigate the new space and the new surroundings. I think that's one of the reasons why home is so important so that you have this one space where you can feel safe. And to move beyond the physical, home is also often defined through people, like you said earlier. And that's a harder thing to do because you can't just, I mean, I can unpack a box and put my nice little scarf over my books and I'm good, but I can't invent community. So what have your experiences been with that aspect of things? Like you said, your partner was one that you did get to put in a box and take with. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it wasn't a box. (laughs) Um, Definitely not a bag, no. Um, So yeah, I think that's really an important one as well is around how do you create that sense of community when you move? I am a very proactive person. I always tell everyone to be very proactive. So with all my clients who are about to move, I always say to them, try and meet people before you even move so you know there's so many like facebook expat groups there's groups on linkedin there's like all kinds of groups and forums on on the internet where you can maybe perhaps even meet people before you move or the other thing that might be really helpful is to do a look and see visit 
So actually go to the new city, to the country where you're going to move to and explore it and meet new people while you're there. So in that way, when you then actually move there, you have already connections there, you have already been there. So it's more familiar than if you go there for the very first time. I don't know, when you moved to Germany, did you, was, was that your first visit to Germany? No, I, I'd visited it several times. I was with a German at the time, and so I'd visited him, and then we moved in together into a new city. So we were in the same boat where we had each other, but we didn't know anyone else. So from there, it was sort of off to the races to meet people. But I was super lucky. I worked in a German-American center, and so I was encountering lots of people every day. And there was this whole community of teachers who were teaching English classes who were often or always English speakers. And so it was already it was already something. And those people I've actually ended up becoming friends with long term. But at the beginning, I had the feeling like everyone is already settled here and they're not really interested in having me barge into their lives. So, you know, it did take time to find community. And I found that at some point I had to kind of have a moment talking to myself and say, you know, maybe I'm pushing the friendships that I did have too hard to be something that they're not. And maybe it sounds a little crass to say, but I almost sort of identified some people that I was friends with as sort of starter friends, which is not to devalue them in any way. It was sort of just like, oh, I'm noticing that we're not really able to go super deep. And I I don't know that we're going to have this connection long term but I still like you and value you and I want you in my life in one way or another. And so maybe right now you're the only friend I have and I wish I had more, but I can just let that be. And over time, as I do settle in, I I, I am still friends with a lot of those people. It's just a more distant friendship. And for me, identifying it as a different type of friendship helped me release that pressure and accept the situation for what, what it was. And I think it's really important to like have that mix of friends where you have those really deep friendships but equally have those friendships where you can just go out and you know meet for a coffee and that's it I try to kind of keep a mix of like local friends and expats because it's easier if you know if people have the same kind of international experience as you it's generally easy to make friends with them because you usually meet and you tell each other your whole life story (laughs) whereas with local people that can sometimes be overwhelming for people if you just kind of come up with them and tell them your whole story so it's almost like yeah creating different narratives and how much can you share with people but I, i definitely think that it's it's more difficult to build relationship with local people because they tend to already have their friendships and might not necessarily be looking to make new friends but in the long term I find that they are generally more stable relationships. I remember when I was living in Brussels, which was a really kind of international city, a lot of expats would only stay for a year or so. So a lot, because I was there for five years, a lot of my friendships changed regularly. And that became quite upsetting for me after a while because I was kind of, you know, I just made a friend and then I lost a friend again. So that was the point when I started kind of invest more in local friendships. So it's good to have a mix of both. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's good to keep yourself aware of, of what friendships you have, what qualities they are offering, and if they're locals or fellow expats. Not that you necessarily need to change your behavior immediately, but just to notice, oh, hey, I'm only having this kind of friendship. And if it starts to not feel fulfilling, then at least I have an idea. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm sort of trying the same thing again and again, and maybe I need to try something new. And I actually also would advocate, especially at the beginning, for making use of 
the digital age. Like if you have friends who are far, far away, but you can talk to them and you're not finding people where you live to talk to. For me, I think sometimes it's more important to just have a connection. Obviously, you can't live your life online and you need to find a way to push through and find local friends and local expat friends, whatever. They need to be in person. But we do live in a digital age and that is a huge benefit. And I I don't think we need to beat ourselves up about staying in on a Saturday to talk to our best friend from back home if that's what's going to help us in that moment. Yeah, and especially I think the other point about staying in touch with people is also if you ever think about repatriating, because I do have a lot of clients who are, you know, thinking about repatriating at some stage. So I think it's important to kind of keep connections open, not just even for yourself, but also for your family and friends, because family and friends want to know what's happening with you and, you know, what you're doing. And they kind of want to be part of your life as well. So I definitely think that there is like the virtual home almost because you're connecting with people back home and you know a lot of people almost feel home online because when you're where when you're online you can meet so many different people and talk about issues that really connect you and that's so it's, I think it's fine to have that kind of almost third virtual home there are times when it can get out, out of hand and you're just spending all your days on, on online which obviously is not healthy but I, I agree I think you know it can be a great third home virtual yeah, home I like that the third home <laughs> I think another aspect that I've noticed in my later years <laughs> in my later 20s really is when I'm, I'm starting to notice that one of the things that makes me feel grounded and at home is routines like this is stupid but the first time I wash dishes in my new apartment something shifts because then it's not this new scary space that I'm in it's the place where I'm going to wash my dishes whether it's keeping your home in order or it's becoming a, a regular at the bakery down the corner or whatever it might be creating a routine and creating a sense of normalcy to me feels like home as you said, like routine creates normalcy, creates familiarity, not just for yourself, but also for other people. So if you go like to your coffee shop, people start to recognize you. So the staff there, the waiter starts to recognize you. They might even remember your name. And I think that all helps with that feeling of home. Because I think what home is a lot about is that sense of familiarity and recognizing things. I think that's important, you know, recognizing people, but also recognizing places. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling when you're like new to a city, whether it's just a tourist or an expat, when you realize you got lost. And it's that sense of like dread and fears of almost like, you know, how am I going to find my way back? And so that the home is like the opposite of that. It's like you recognize places and you have a, a connection with places and a history with places. And I think that's what routines do as well, is they create a history and a memory. Oh, that's so brilliant. Yeah, that's making me notice when I, so I, before moving to Freiburg, I'd never been to Freiburg. And so literally the drive with the car full of stuff was my first experience of this place. And the road that you get to take into town is beautiful for a while, but then you hit town and you're like in a tunnel and then you come out and it's not beautiful. And it was just really disorienting and confusing. And I was like, I have to love this place because I just burned down my whole life and ran here. So... And I remember coming up this bridge to turn into the neighborhood and there was the statue on top of the bridge. And I remember looking at it and having almost one of these moments where I was like, notice that bridge. You're going to see it later. Remember that statue because that statue is going to mean you're almost at your neighborhood. 
And later when I would go bike to work or, or pass that street, I remembered that feeling of, of being new, but just grasping onto something. And it did feel helpful. And it sort of gave me an, an object to launch all of these complicated feelings onto and, and really grab hold. <laughs> yeah, I think you just mentioned something that's so important. You said, I have to love this place. And I think that it's a lot of it is about attitude. Like, I think if you move to a new place and there's something you don't like about it and you're going to focus all your energy on the things you don't like, it's not going to feel home because you're basically, at, you know, you're comparing it to your old place, you're comparing it to things you don't like. But if you actually approach things with the sense of, well, I'm going to have to live here for whatever, how long it is, and I need to find things that I enjoy about the place, then it's much more likely that you're going to put in the effort to really create home. Because I think that's why I also use the word create home, because I think it's a very active process. It's not just something that, I mean, sometimes it just happens, but generally there's a, a very active process of we have to work on creating home. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I'm looking at, you have a brilliant blog post about this topic that I have pulled up right now and I'm looking at it. And that's what's jumping out to me right now is a lot of the things that you list that are elements that can create home. Um, it's a nice mixture of emotional and physical. So I'll read some out. Like literally the geographical location can be an element that signifies home. The people, like we said, the weather for you, the rain in Scotland, <laughs> the aesthetics, which we discussed also within your physical home, um, the smell or taste of foods. That's also a big one. If you just cook your favorite meal, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what weird elements you had to add in to make the recipe work. If you cook that thing, you're connected again. Sounds, history of a place, hobbies. Um, and, and actually that friend that helped me set my apartment up, one of the things we've really been connecting on is, is I'm a person who's very much existing in sort of a heady space. I'm very thinking about emotions and people and the way the world works all the time. And she's very physical. And so she's been buying me candles and decorating my space. And every time she comes into my home, she adjusts the lighting and she puts on background music, all of these sensual items and things. And what I've learned through her is that those things are so grounding and so helpful in ways that me as this person whose head's in the cloud doesn't think of and so I really like this list because it, it helps you know people who lean more one way or the other can kind of notice that and, and work towards creating more of a balance between the two I think it's also just about like what you would say around noticing it so you know you notice that when your friend did this that made you feel grounded um and a lot of a lot of what international challenges are about is to be really mindful and engaged with the process and to spend time thinking about how we're feeling and how we're doing and checking in with us regularly. Yeah, which brings me perfectly to the second point in your blog post. Um, <laughs> I swear we didn't do this on purpose. I'm just throwing this at you, but it's fitting in perfectly. You pose the challenge of revisit a specific place in time. So ground yourself in a memory of a moment and you're talking specifically here about a moment where you felt at home and you ask certain questions to help guide people to identify why that moment felt good. 
And I think that's a great exercise because, yeah, maybe you don't notice these things as they're happening live. Maybe you're just busy being in the moment, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you can't reflect on it later and ask yourself things like, what did you hear? Where were you? What can you see? Are there other people with you? What were you doing? How are you feeling? And these can help you identify why that was a good moment. And in doing that, you can then make that next step, which is, okay, and how can I do that here? I mean, one of the things I think that's important as well to mention is that places can change over time. So I, for example, have moments in time when I was living in Belgium where it felt like home, but then it, it didn't always feel home. So the last kind of six months, it started kind of losing that character of home because there was a lot of a political unrest at the time. So that it was actually one of the reasons why we moved away from Belgium. Yeah, and I think so So places can sometimes feel home, but then something might happen and it might no longer feel home. So there's definitely, like I don't think home is static. It's not always going to feel like home. And that's why those checking in moments are really important because often clients come to me and they're like, well, you know, I'm just not feeling great. And often it is because something in their environment changed and it no longer feels like home. And it's sometimes around pinpointing, you know, what happened? Why does it feel different? And what can you actually do about it? You have so many good points. I just keep saying this again. But honestly, yes, it's so relevant. And part three, the, the third part of your blog post was about what makes you then feel uneasy, which is also useful. Exactly what you were saying, like your experience in Brussels. I had this, I lived for five years in um, South Carolina. And I, I guess at some point I thought I felt at home, but this was the first place I'd ever lived. And I noticed around year four of living there, I had my own apartment. I had friends who I considered good. I had a job, which I considered good. I had a relationship, which I considered good. And I'd build a life for myself successfully. But I was not, something was missing and I couldn't identify it. And I didn't know what to do with it for a long time because I was like, find new friends, but I have them. Find a new job, but I have one. The relationship felt good about it you know like there just were so many things where I thought okay well I did it right and then it but it wasn't right and so once I recognized that I was able to figure out what I needed to do to move on and (laughs) I moved to Chicago after that and um, I mean within literally a week or two I felt so at home there and the difference was shocking and then since then I've always been able to look back and be like oh okay the stuff that I was feeling that I couldn't identify was important and I needed to dig in and I I, in retrospect I was realizing that job was super unhealthy a lot of those friendships were very paper thin the relationship was never going to work and all of it was feeling wrong for a very good reason and although it's not as fun to think about the bad times I think it's important to do that and again in doing so I've had a better ability to know what I don't want (laughs) to do in my new homes yeah, and I think that's just as important as knowing what you want to do is, yeah, what you don't want to do and what you don't like is just as important. And I don't think, you know, I think we all have our own individual stuff. Like, I don't, like that, so that's why I ask a lot of questions in that blog post is because some people just give like lots of lists what to do to make you feel at home. But I think it's much more about identifying what works for you and just experiment and try it out. And if it doesn't work, try something new. Yeah, exactly. And I think also I like these questions because as an expat, you especially at the beginning when you're not feeling at home, it is so overwhelming, this this sense of nothing's in my control and everything's out of reach and I can't do anything about it. 
but you can and it's just a matter of identifying what those things are like i think home is it's not one thing you know it's not just the people it's not just your house it's not just the weather it's like all of those things together so i think it's really important that when we think about a home and what makes us feel at home that we look at it holistically so it's it's really important with finding out how all those things work in harmony and do not do any one of them too much so for example you know i sometimes have clients who especially when you've just moved with your partner for example that you get so attached to this one person that you know that you spend all the time with them and so you don't actually spend time on building friendships finding a job doing all the other things so i think it's really important especially when you've just moved to do a balance yeah and especially cuz life is turbulent and at any time your best friend could move away and if that was the only person the only thing keeping you going what are you going to do then you know there's so many things that can happen and you're more stable if you have a a good balance and i think also maybe one thing we should also mention is sometimes the literal physical place is is just not your home and being able to admit that is also good yeah, you know, you had to leave Brussels for, it sounds like some partially political reasons, partially other reasons, and you found another place that worked better for you. Yeah, I mean, Scotland and Edinburgh is definitely great. I would say for me too, when I did have the experience of, I, when I stopped trying to make Charleston work for me, and I was just was like, I just need to move on. Technically, the life that I had in Chicago was in most ways worse. Like I didn't have these things. I didn't have all of the things that I had before. But I was 12 million times happier and the things that I did have were stable and good and I could build off of them. And then when I moved to Germany, I actually, I, at the beginning it was really tough, but long term, I so many things just did work for me because here the place is just right for me. And there are things about living here that I didn't even know I needed in a home, but literally I live at the foot of a hill or a mountain, whatever you want to call it. And I can't not do that anymore. Like I'm, I have to move apartments soon and I, I refuse to live far away from nature. And all of my former homes were very highly populated areas. I had no idea that I needed nature and that I needed specifically hills with good views. But now I'm like, well, I super know it now and I can't do without it. And I'm so glad that I was courageous enough back then to say no to the technically good looking setup at my home in, in South Carolina and recognize something was wrong because it's all been so much better from there. And I definitely know people, even though Freiburg is my magical, perfect expat life place, I've had people who have moved here and they're like, nope, it's not it for me. And they move somewhere else and they're 12 times happier. If you're in a place where you can A, recognize that you're not loving the physical place you are and B, do something about it, then, you know, power to you. Absolutely. I think that's so important. Like I've seen, I have seen some people like struggle through like months and years sometimes of being really unhappy. And I think there is a point where once you have really tried it and gave it your all and it doesn't work, yeah, I, I, you know, there's no failure in moving back where you're originally from or moving somewhere new. And I think the good thing about these exercises, and I'm kind of self-promoting my own exercises. I made you do it because I brought it up repeatedly because I think they're really great. So <laughs> it's my fault. The, the, the good thing about them is that you can actually do them before you move. So it's almost like, you know, figure out what is going to make you feel at home and then have that go, you know, visit 
the, the city, the town, wherever you want to move, visit it and maybe, you know, spend like two or three weeks living there and finding out if, if the place really does match what it is that you need. Because I think it, that's, that's much less expensive than moving there, yeah. um, getting a place <laughs> and everything, and then finding out three months later that actually, you know, um, I mean, just to make a really stupid example, I really like being close to the seaside. So, you know, if I moved to Germany, somewhere in the middle where there wasn't a seaside, if I was to move there and find out three weeks later, actually there is no sea here, <laughs> then that would be a bit silly. So that's why the look and see visit is so important because you can actually learn so much. I'm so amused that you use that example because literally the other places that I've lived in my life, I have chosen based on the fact that they are directly on a large body of water, either the ocean or something that you could believe was an ocean. And Germany was the first time I moved somewhere without that. And I was honestly worried about it because that was one of the things I had identified from when I was like 12 on where I was like, no, I need to be in walking distance to the water. I need to just be able to look at it. And uh, yeah, and I moved to Germany and there's no, there's no nothing like that. But that was something where I've learned in time. I do still kind of have that need, but it's not daily need. It's a need I can fulfill in visits. And so. It kind of reminds me. So one of the things that I, I do with clients is um, some people come up with like a really long list of things that makes them feel at home. And sometimes they can contradict each other. So some people are like, oh, I like like, the city, but I also like nature. And usually there's less nature in the city, (laughs) like big populated areas. So I always ask them, you know, what are the non-negotiables and which items are you willing to negotiate on? So, you know, if, if you don't need to see every single day, can you just satisfy that need by going to the seaside on the weekend? Yeah, it's about creating a list of what makes you feel at home, but also recognizing which ones you can't live without and which ones you're actually willing to negotiate on. Here, here. On those wise words, then, we are going to round the corner and head to home with the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It is a rapid fire question round where I'm going to ask you three questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? Yes, I think so. (laughs) First one, what is the last decoration that you bought or made for your home? Um, I bought a plant. I don't know, does that count as a decoration? Oh, heck yeah, it does. Great. After a long, hard day, when you come home totally exhausted, what do you do, eat, or drink that helps you unwind and treat yourself? You know, like the first thing that came to mind is nachos. So I'm just going to go with nachos. (laughs) Yep, I love it. That's perfect. (laughs) And finally, where is your favorite spot in your current home? Um, I really like, so it's it's a physical location. Um, I really like Arthur's seat. So it's like a hill where when you walk up to it, it's quite high. So you can see just the panoramic view of the whole city. And it's amazing. It, and especially early morning, it's fantastic because there's almost no one there. So it almost feels like you're on top of the world, just on your own. I really want to visit Scotland so bad. And I have a trip planned this summer. And if coronavirus doesn't ruin everything, then I'm, I'll be there soon. And I'm yes. going to have to go take an early morning stroll to that spot because that sounds amazing. Okay. Um, okay. And we need to meet up. Yeah, no, totally. We have so much to talk about. <laughs> um, which, speaking of, if people want to find you and stay in contact with you, maybe use your coaching services because you are clearly brilliant, where can they find you? I have a website called yellowwoodcoaching.co.uk. 
I might coach online and in person. So if people are not in Edinburgh or not in Scotland, they can uh, reach out to me and we can phone or Skype. And I also have a Facebook group and uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well, if people want to reach out to me there. We'll link to all of these things in the show notes. Thank you so very much for coming on the show. This was such a wonderful, lovely chat. Thank you. Thanks for having me as well. Did you guys hear that part at the end where I said, ah, yeah, if the coronavirus doesn't ruin anything, I'll be heading to Scotland this summer. Yeah, we recorded this a couple weeks ago. (laughs) The coronavirus has since then gone ahead and ruined everything. So trip's canceled, but I'll make it to Scotland someday. And I can't wait to meet up with Julia. Julia, thank you one more time for coming on the show. We're going to link to her blog post and her website and her Facebook group and all the good stuff in the show notes. There you can also find links to our social media. So you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Instagram at The Expatcast, or you can shoot us an email at theexpatcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already taken a moment out of your quarantine to leave me a rating and review on iTunes, go ahead and do it now. Now is as great a time as ever, because I know you don't have anything better to do. <laughs> Thanks as always to Amy Lunky Art for the logo and to Sidehug for the theme music. I'll be back in your feeds on Thursday with an episode about becoming bilingual. Until then, stay healthy, stay safe. Bis dann. Tschüss.